Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. I think the problem is if if parents get all freaked out whenever a, a a touchy issue comes up on their TV or in a movie or something, and they don't want to talk about it, they clam up. Do you think your kid is ever going to come to you again to talk about these issues? No, he's he or she never is, right? They're going to run to their friends or the internet or TikTok or something like that. So I think we need to inoculate kids rather than isolate kids. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. Please take a moment and click subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, because we have some great interviews and videos coming up next week. We're going to be talking with Scott Klusendorf, who does so much great work in the area of pro-life apologetics. We're going to be talking about You know, when you go on social media and you make a claim, maybe something against abortion or pro-life, what is the pushback that you're going to receive? We're going to talk with Scott about how to engage with the objections people are going to bring to your pro-life arguments. So definitely subscribe. Click the bell icon on YouTube so that you know when those things are coming up. But I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today with one of our favorites, Dr. Frank Turek. He's written a book recently with his son, Zach Turek, called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. This is a book that I was honored to be able to endorse and happily did so. I think that it touches on so many important points. And so I just want to read a little bit from the intro here, because I think you're going to see, especially if you're a Christian parent, this book is not written for Christian parents. It's written for Christians to be able to discern through the movies and media that we watch and even find some themes in those things that can help us build bridges with people and begin to have gospel gospel conversations with people. But I think especially if you're a parent, this is going to mean a lot to you, this episode. So here's what it says. Think about it. What if Batman knew your name and wanted to be friends with you? What if you were the one Tony Stark died to save? What if it was you, Luke Skywalker, would stop at nothing to redeem? Hollywood heroes will awaken you to these questions and help you see the God who stops at nothing to redeem you. And it will strengthen you to invite others into conversations of faith and life in Jesus. So, Frank, welcome on. I'm so glad to have you on again and talking about this new book. Yeah, it's always great. This this book's fun. Uh, I'm I'm excited about the book because my son, who's really the movie buff, Elisa, I mean, he he started out early on when he I think he was like nine or ten when the Phantom Menace came out with Star Wars. You know, he yeah, went to the yeah, movies sure. and everybody was dressed up, and he's going, "Wow, this is amazing." Well, I was 15 when the first Star Wars movie came out. And the same thing was going on. People were dressing up. I'm like, this is more than just a movie, isn't it? And yeah. so he's the he's the real movie buff. And a few years back, we said, you know, there's so many Christian parallels 
in so many of these movies, and so many of these movie heroes are patterned after the ultimate hero, Jesus, I said, why shouldn't we talk about this and get people who are interested in these movies to realize that the greatest story ever told is retold many times in, in their favorite movies. That's such an important point, too, I think, because there's a reason these movies resonate with people. Uh, in, the, mm -hmm. in my next book that's coming out in October, I have a chapter where I'm sort of interacting with the lie that um, you should put yourself first, because this is something that culture tells us constantly. Like, mm -hmm. you have to make sure all your needs are met first before you can meet the needs of others, and you should put yourself first. And I, I referenced that old movie, I don't know if you remember this, with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck called Armageddon, where, uh -huh. like, at the end, only one person, you know, one person has to go and stop the meteor from hitting the earth and you know, Bruce Willis sends Ben Affleck back up and he's like, I'll do it. And then there's this big dramatic scene where Bruce Willis dies for the whole world. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell that story and I say, wouldn't it be like so stupid if Bruce Willis was like, you know what? I think, you know, I've got a lot of dreams I still need to to pursue mm -hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and let you do this. But nobody would think that's a good movie. And I think there's a reason that those themes resonate so deeply with us. Like nobody would pay money to go see Bruce Willis save his own skin. It was a right, blockbuster exactly. because he gave his life, right? Or if Tony Stark said, look, I'm following my heart. I need to go back to Pepper. I'm not going to kill right, myself. Right. <laughs> well, and yeah, and the thing with Tony Stark, too, is if people are familiar with the movies, and we'll get into this, too, is that Tony Stark would have every reason to let somebody else do it. He's oh, crazy yeah. smart. He's the one that's actually inventing all of the, um, the not costumes, but what do they call them in the Marvel universe? The technology. Universe? The technology yeah, that they yeah. wear and Spider-Man suit and all that. He's the one designing all that. Nobody else can do that. And yet, we still know that that is what heroes do. And so mm -hmm. that, of course, points to the real story, the bigger story, the real true story that we have such an opportunity to talk with people about, you know, when we talk about Marvel movies or especially like I loved the first Wonder Woman. I know we'll get to mm -hmm. all of this. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But first, Frank, I want to know this book you co-wrote with your son, Zach, uh, what was that like to write a book with your son? I imagine that was just, if I knew 10, 15 years from now, I was going to co-write a book with my daughter, I would be over the moon excited that my daughter would be even interested in doing something like that. And then how that would actually go. So how did it come to be? And then how did that yeah. process work as you guys wrote the book together? Well, Zach, in his own right, is an apologist because he's already graduated from seminary, even though he's in the Air Force. He's uh, in the, a major in the Air Force right now. He's in intelligence. And uh, he's been for the past several months working 13 hour days on the Russia issue. Mm. So he's really busy right now. Otherwise, he'd probably be on this with us. Uh, but years, this had to be five, six years ago. We, he, would, he, he, he grew up on these movies. He grew up on Star Wars. In fact, at least he used to read all of the Star Wars fiction books that came out of the Star Wars universe. They weren't ever made into movies, but there's a whole there's a whole secret world of these things. Yeah. And he read all those books. He, I know he read all the Harry Potter books. And I know Harry Potter's controversial. We'll get to that later. He just loved reading. And then when the movies came out, he loved them all the more. And six, seven years or five, six years ago, we we're just talking about it. And I said, Zach, you know a lot about these movies. You know about parallels to Christianity. We ought to write a book. And given the fact that we've both been really busy, it took quite a while to pull it all together. But in 2021, we just put our uh, put our minds to it and got it done. He's actually in Anchorage, Alaska. I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's all been via email and via FaceTime and everything. And uh, yeah. but it's it's been wonderful writing it with him, and we're just excited to see it uh, out. It's it's just come out May third, uh, so it's just hot off the presses, and we're excited to uh, to see what it does because I think it's going to be helpful not just for evangelism, but it's also going to be helpful, as you pointed out earlier, Elisa, with parents and their kids. If their kids love these movies. Yeah. Why not find an easy way to segue these movies into getting them more interested in God, Christianity, and biblical life lessons? Totally agree. And so, you know, we kind of hinted at that this is going to be really beneficial for Christian parents. But when you were writing this book, what was the audience you had in mind? Was this just Christians in general, or were you writing it even to, to skeptics to take a look at the gospel? Or what, who are you thinking about when you're writing this book? Well, anybody that likes superhero movies would probably like the book. In fact, even uh, a, an atheist I debated on Justin Brierley's show enjoyed the book because he, Paul Enns is his name. He uh, he was he 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 and I went back and forth on on some of the apologetic issues. 
which he obviously doesn't agree with us that Jesus rose from the dead, but he enjoyed the books. He actually worked for George Lucas, so he enjoyed the Star Wars chapter, the Harry Potter chapter. So even people that might not be Christians could could benefit from it and like it. But I actually think that it's great for any person that likes superhero movies, and it's certainly good for kids and their parents, particularly their parents or youth pastors who want to get kids more engaged in Christianity. I think they can use this book as a segue to do that. Yeah, and there's there's a, a mentality. I want to address the mentality that, you know, different people approach these movies in different ways, especially in the context of Christian parenting. And I think there's sort of a spectrum. So you have some parents who say, we're not going to allow any Disney. We're not going to allow – of course, I know the whole mm-hmm. Disney thing is – we're rethinking those things just from the recent, uh, uh, you know, revelations about that. But just in general, things like Marvel and superhero movies and, and, you know, there's one group of parents that would say, we are not going to allow any of that. And we're not going to, we're just going to totally isolate. And, and here's why I think this is a danger. I think I, I meet people, I met this, this couple on the road when I was um, speaking at a conference. And they said, you know, our parents never let us watch any secular movies. And so the minute we got out of the house, we had this marathon, and we watched <laughs> all the movies. And I thought, you know, I thought to myself, goodness, you know, they, I, I get where the parents were coming from. I have so much. Oh my gosh, I'm in it with all of you Christian parents who are watching. We are navigating this stuff every day. So every parent's going to make a different decision for themselves, of course. Um, but I was thinking about that, going, man, what a missed opportunity to be able to actually teach their kids how to discern through some of these issues. So you have that one end of the extreme, and then on another end of the extreme, you have parents saying, hey, I'm just going to throw anything up there on the screen and try to find the gospel in it. So where would you find the sweet spot of where this book is hitting on that spectrum as far as how you would approach parents uh, to navigate these topics with their own kids? Well, first of all, I trust parents. Parents know their kids better than I do, so whatever they decide, that's up to them, Okay. Uh, But secondly, I think that, as you just said, you can use this as a segue or a bridge to get kids and even their friends more interested in Christianity. But not every movie is age appropriate. In fact, we have a list in the front of Hollywood Heroes in the very in the preface. We have a list of, okay. here are the movies we're going to talk about. Not all these may be age appropriate. You know, you're not going to show your five year old maybe some of these movies, but the time they're, you know, 12 or 13, maybe you will. But overall, uh, Elisa, I think the best approach with these kind of PG, PG-13 movies, if their kids are interested in them, is to watch it with them and to point out the good and the bad in it and explain what's good and explain what's bad. I love what your guest Oz Guinness talks about. I know you had him on the show recently. He plays a game with his kids or grandkids now, I guess, called Spot the Lie, right? So if you're watching something with your kid and uh, – Say you see, okay, premarital sex and there's there's no negative consequences. Everyone's happy. Okay, what's being taught here, kids? And is it true or false? You know, yeah. is there a lie here? And then you discuss it, right? I think the problem is if, if parents get all freaked out whenever a, a, a touchy issue comes up on their TV or in a movie or something and they don't want to talk about it, they clam up. Do you think your kid is ever going to come to you again? to talk about these issues? No, he's he or she never is, right? They're going to run to their friends or the internet or TikTok or something like that. So I think we need to inoculate kids rather than isolate kids. That's the best yeah. way I could put it. I agree with that so heartily. And I do think it's interesting that there's kind of an age-appropriate, like you mentioned, uh, way to do that. Mm-hmm. One of the moms that was in a – she was in one of the Mama Bear Apologetics groups on Facebook – And she made such a clear point, and I wish I could go back and remember who she was so I could credit her for for this thought, but it was so brilliant. And she she was a grown she had grown children, and she said, you know, the way I was raised and the way I raised my kids was that if it was quote unquote clean, they could watch it. And what that meant was if there's no graphic sexuality and if there's no cuss words, we can watch (laughs) it. The problem with that though, as she pointed out, was that she said, My kids literally had their worldview formed by the show Friends and Gilmore Girls. Mm. So you have a lot of subject matter that's being discussed and even worldviews that are being promoted in different TV shows and in movies that even if there's not actual cuss words or actual graphic sex scenes, they can become completely 
maybe uncritically accepting of worldviews that are very, very antithetical to the gospel. So this is what we argue in the Mama Bear Apologetics uh, book is that, you know, we need to expose our kids to false ideas. And that models for them not only is there really no such thing as a, a movie that's all good or all bad, you know, kind of gets them out of that black and white thinking to think in a little bit more complicated terms and nuances of, hey, what this character did was a good thing. And, and the movie actually shows the consequence of that being good. But Frank, just this week, um, once in a while, I like to just catch up with what culture is into because I don't have a ton of time to mm-hmm. watch TV. Once, I mean, of course, once in a while I, I do. I'm not, I'll, be, I'll get into a little binge on something, of course. But mm-hmm. um, I just, I wanted, I took a really popular show. It's wildly popular in culture right now and just watched it cold, you know, so I'm not the frog in the kettle on this. And it was so stunning to me how in the show, the person who put themselves first and basically put other people's needs behind them, they did it in such a way that, like, you're supposed to be crying. You're, you're supposed to be so moved by this. They've got the music. And, and I remember watching it going, I am literally supposed to be crying right now, but I can't squeeze out a tear because this is so horrible what this person uh-huh. is doing. And so this is why I think it's so important for all of us to learn to think this way, but also to help our kids think this way. Okay, I'm going to shut up now and ask you a question because I want uh, you to give us some practical examples in some of these movies. So one of the big topics that in apologetics that we have to deal with and answer is this problem of if God is good, why does he allow so much evil and suffering in the world? And you actually point out an example from Spider-Man of Mm -hmm. how we can think through this. Why don't you help us with that? Yeah, the Spider-Man... Spider-Man is born after he's bitten by a spider, we all know, and uh, he's using his his powers, at least initially, for his own personal benefit. He's just a teenager with cool power, so he's going to use it to impress girls and that kind of thing, you know. And uh, his Uncle Ben, who brings him up, at one point says to him, Ben is starting to get an idea that something's happened to Peter Parker. And uh, Ben says to him, with great power comes great responsibility, Right. And what happens is, is Peter Parker as Spider-Man could stop a robbery from being, from happening, but the guy who was being robbed had just duped Spider-Man out of something. So he doesn't save the guy. He, he says, this guy got what he deserved. He just duped me. Now I'm going to let this robber rob him. Well, it turns out the robber who robbed this guy actually carjacked Peter Parker's Uncle Ben and shot him. And Peter Parker goes to him. Uncle Ben's dying on the sidewalk. And what he remembers, Peter Parker does in his mind, is with great power comes great responsibility. Here's an evil event that occurs. And his uncle dies. And suddenly, Spider-Man realizes, I haven't been using my powers rightly. From now on, I'm going to use it for good. So here's an evil event that actually produces a good. What's the good? Spider-Man becomes someone who's going to look after others, and then he goes on to save thousands of people. So the evil event, the killing of his uncle, actually is the catalyst which brings forth great good from that point going forward. So there's always a ripple effect. There's always, Mm. even when evil occurs, there's always a ripple effect, and it often brings good down the line. And here's a case of that. God has to allow free will to allow love, but he allows evil to occur, but he can actually redeem evil for good. And here's an example where he does. Yeah, and I mentioned before that it seems like the messages or the slogans we hear from culture, things like, you're perfect just as you are, you should put yourself Mm -hmm. first, you're in control of your own destiny. This is the message we get in some of the top-selling books. And yet, when people go to the movie theater for entertainment, I'm always stunned um, now, of course, there's some of that in the you know more dramatic shows like the one I mentioned. But in these hero shows, these these ones, these are the superheroes. These are the good guys. These are the guys that are saving the world, which basically rests on an assumption that it's good to save the world, right? right. Because if you're really going by a Darwinian evolutionary paradigm, then you would maybe mm-hmm. see Thanos as the hero for kind of thinning mm-hmm. the herd a little bit so that we can let the Earth thrive a little more. And yet. 
nobody would think that's a good movie. And so there seems to be this tension between what we instinctively uh, are drawn to as morally good and what is actually being claimed as morally good. But I think as we see more and more people buying into the bad ideas, we see our culture just getting more and more crazy. And so, you know, you think you take somebody like a Captain America uh, who is, you know, really so in many ways antithetical to what we see happening in culture. And you point out a, a really unique characteristic that Captain America has, um, and you kind of relate that with Jesus. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Captain America is righteous from the beginning. He doesn't need any moral development. You never mm -hmm. have to worry, what is Captain America going to do here? Is he going to do the right thing or not? No, he's always going to do the right thing. Like Jesus, Jesus always does the right thing. Now, of course, Jesus is morally perfect. Captain America isn't morally perfect, but he's always going to do the right thing. Now, you put him, him up against his co-star, uh, co Iron Man. Tony Stark is the opposite, right? Tony Stark starts out as a billionaire, playboy, amoral arms dealer who he's the last guy you think is going to be in a, a hero, right? He's in it for himself all the time. And yet over the series of movies, he goes on this character arc where he actually gives up uh, what he what is what he truly wants to follow with his heart. He has actually an identity crisis because he has everything to live with and nothing to live for. And until he discovers what he ought to really be living for, he's he's selfish. Then he becomes a hero. And spoiler alert, he actually <laughs> sacrifices himself to save the world. So he's going on an arc to becoming more and more like Jesus over the long term, whereas whereas Captain America is consistent the whole way through. Mm. Well, you mentioned Tony Stark. And, uh, you know, of course, for anyone unfamiliar with the movies, he's got these uh, I can't remember. It's been so long now since I saw the kind of the genesis of the Iron Man thing. But mm -hmm. he's got this device implanted into his chest, which is keeping him alive. And, and there's like a couple of scenes where it's really tense because it's like running out of juice or whatever. And they uh -huh. got to quick and fix it. But what what is a great reminder with the Tony Stark uh, device that's implanted in his chest? There's a great reminding of a life-changing biblical principle. What is that? Well, this is one of my favorite parts of the book because – if there's one theme that comes through in, say, kids' movies now, and it's all over the culture, it's follow your heart, right? That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to follow your heart. You're supposed to cross every stream. You're supposed to swim every river. You're supposed to climb every mountain. That's got to be a Disney song somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what you're supposed to do. And don't let anyone tell you you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to follow your heart. Well, Tony Stark has been following his heart his whole life. He's, he's a billionaire. He's, 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 he's got the big three we always talk about, sex, money, and power, right? He's got yeah. all of it. He doesn't need anything else you would think temporally, but he's still miserable. He has an identity crisis. Mm. He really doesn't know who he is. He has everything to live with and nothing to live for. Then one of his own missiles, which he his company sold to, to terrorists, actually is de it's detonated near him, and he takes all this shrapnel in his chest, and that's why they have to put that device in his chest to protect his heart, to guard his heart from encroaching shrapnel. If that thing fails, he dies. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what the proverb says, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Doesn't mm. say follow your heart. It says guard your heart. And if there's one lesson we need to get to our kids, is it's not follow your heart, it's guard your heart. Tony mm. Stark guards his heart. Here's a visual representation of it. Eventually he becomes the hero that saves the world. But I think that particular visual picture is something that every kid needs to learn. Every adult needs to learn, by the way, because if you yeah. don't, if you follow your heart without moral restraint, you're going to wind up alone, sick, mm -hmm. and ultimately dead. Absolutely. And I think those visual pictures can be so powerful. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of Lord of the Rings. I've been actually was thinking about this all week. And what an amazing example of what sin does to somebody mm. is, is Gollum mm -hmm. with the ring, you oh, know, yeah, my yeah, precious. Yeah. And, and it's like you see this this moral arc with Gollum almost, you know, starting as a, well, a hobbit, but, you know, we would say like as, as a human and then mm -hmm. becoming more and more dehumanized until all that, that, that he is, is just obsessed with this, this thing, you know? And I think that these messages in culture, they're actually sending us that way rather than the other way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so again, in, in a lot of these stories, here's a great 
way to think about this. Like if Christian parents are watching this and you're like, well, I'm not, I don't want to just go show my kids all the Marvel movies. That's fine. But why not have this under your belt so that when your kid goes to a friend's house and they, you know, they're talking about it, or if your friend happens to see the movie at a friend's house, or they hear the whole story from their friends, why not have these talking points available to be able to point them to why, you know, I think for me, the big question, Frank, is why do we love these stories? Why do these stories well, resonate so deeply? I think they resonate so deeply because even anti-Christian movie makers can't help but making movies that parallel the greatest story ever told and the greatest hero in, in, in world history. And that's, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Yeah. Because we all have a desire to have someone rescue us from this broken world and take us to a place where there is no pain, suffering, or death. And that's what Jesus does. See, all of these superhero movies, all of these fantasy movies do that. They they have a, someone come in and save us from this broken world and take us to a place of bliss. And, and, and we all have this desire. And C.S. Lewis famously put it this way. He said, if, I, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Yeah. And yeah. we were made for another world. And all these movies, even though these movie makers don't even, don't even know they're doing it, are paralleling the greatest story ever told. Now, there are a couple of movies we cover in this series. And, and it, I mean, in the book, Hollywood Heroes, here, here are the movies we cover or the movie franchises we cover. We cover Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Star Wars. And the one that is explicitly Christian in its... Uh, uh, by its author is actually Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay. Tolkien was a, a, a Catholic who was very devout in his beliefs. And so he's trying to communicate the same kind of worldview in Lord of the Rings uh, that, that a, a Christian would. Um, yeah. There are other movie makers, directors that put Christian imagery in there in particular. Like, for example, Zack Schneider, when he did Batman versus Superman, if you see the scene where Superman actually tries to take out this character doomsday he takes him out with a krypton tipped spear well it turns out that doomsday fights back and pierces a spite i mean pierces superman in the side just like jesus wow yeah and superman dies and the next scene after superman dies he, he's handed down by Batman to Wonder Woman in a manner in which Christ was handed down from the cross, mm. uh, a famous painting. So yeah. uh, moviegoers, moviegoers saw this in the theater and they tweeted Zack Snyder, the director, and they said, where'd you get the inspiration for this scene from? And he tweeted back the picture of Christ being wow. lowered down from the cross. Yeah. So every once, and there's a lot of crosses in that movie, Batman versus Superman. I know a lot of people didn't yeah. like it, but um, it, that movie, by the way, deals directly with the problem of evil. It's got so much Christian imagery in it. It's, it's really, really interesting. So why not use these movies to communicate the truth to young people? And this was something that um, I had to sort of come around to a little bit. I've always been a bit of a black and white thinker. So I would have mm -hmm. probably been the person, and sometimes still do, I'll see something and I'm like, that's a miss for me, you know? But But I would be the kind of person that would say, uh, you know, don't call this person a Christ figure because there's only one Christ and only Christ is perfect. But the the point of calling someone a Christ figure is they're not. There's never going to be a perfect metaphor, and I think that's mm -hmm. what I've come around to. Even Lord of the Rings, I was hung up on that for so long because I'm thinking there's no like who's the Christ figure in Lord of the Rings because nobody's well yes right but nobody's morally perfect is the point. No, no, so that's is. what I would get hung up on. But I think uh -huh. if we can just say, look, okay, we get it. They're not morally perfect like Christ was, but they're pointing somewhere. They're mm -hmm. pointing to a story that we all deeply resonate with. And so let's let's talk a little bit about Lord of the Rings, because as you mentioned, the author of Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien, which, by the way, I was just in Chicago and got to visit the, um, now I can't remember what the museum, it's a tiny little museum that has his desk right there at Wheaton. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got to see the desk. I got to see G.K. Chesterton's glasses. It was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Tolkien was the one who convinced C.S. Lewis that mm -hmm. Christianity was what what he called a true myth. That's right. And, and so I think once I started to realize more about that, 
I started to kind of get where people were going with these things. So talk to talk to us about what does it mean, the true myth? What was he talking well, about? Yeah, Tolkien noticed that C.S. Lewis always loved stories about dying and rising gods. These are stories that came out after Christianity, and, and Lewis was enthralled with them. And Tolkien, being a Christian, said to Lewis, why are you so enthralled with all these myth, uh, myths about dying and rising gods to save the world and not enthralled with the true myth, which is, written about in the New Testament. In other words, he convinced Lewis that all these myths that he really likes, uh, are they're, they're, they're fiction, but the true myth is the one that is recorded in the New Testament. That actually happened. He convinced Lewis of that, and then, as you know, Lewis became probably the greatest apologist of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, so all of these myths, and the myths that, that are being made now, Iron Man, Captain America, Lord of the Rings, all these myths, are actually in the same way pointing to the true myth. We just have to be astute enough to recognize where they're doing that. Yeah, now you mentioned there's three Christ figures in Lord of the Rings. Talk about those. Okay, well, the three characters that we that we look at are Gandalf, Aragorn, and Frodo, uh, and Sam. Um, and uh, who do you think Tolkien would say is the hero of the entire uh, Lord of the Rings series? Do you remember? Well, my guess would be it would be Frodo, but is that wrong? Close, it's Sam. Yeah. yeah, he would say Sam yeah. is the hero because Sam carries Frodo, right? Yes. Which is oh. an illustration of Jesus carrying yes. us, right? Okay. I can't so, carry it, but I'll carry you. I think he right, says. Right. Oh, that's that's so right. good. Yeah. So um, so Tolkien spreads out the Christ figure amongst these three. You know, Gandalf is actually described as an angel by Tolkien. He's mm. a messenger. That makes right? sense. But he's yeah. also uh like a strategist. He he's the one that plans salvation. Uh, Aragorn is the 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 king to come. He's the returning king. That's of course the the third book and the third movie, the returning king. So that's who Jesus is, of, of course. Frodo is the weak one who is going to actually accomplish salvation simply by dropping a ring in a volcano. And of course, he has to be helped by Sam. So this is sort of a Trinity thing going on. You've got Gandalf planning salvation, you have Frodo accomplishing salvation, and you have Aragorn inspiring salvation in the people. Mm. He's the one that gets all the orcs to come out of Mordor so Sam and Frodo can transport themselves unmolested to Mordor, or, you know, to the, to the volcano. Yeah. So you see all this going on and you see that these three figures actually comprise together a character that we would call a Christ figure, but they each have a little piece of Christ. He didn't want a, a strict allegory. He wanted, he wanted yeah. something that was more of a parable of say Jesus's um, story. Something to incite the moral imagination. I'm, I'm hearing mm -hmm. a lot of people talk about this, the importance of that moral imagination there. And one of the really cool and unique things about Lord of the Rings, maybe that would be different from what we see in the Marvel movies or what we might see in something like Wonder Woman or Star Wars, mm -hmm. is that the heroes of the story in Lord of the Rings are these kind of little hobbits they're that they're they're kind of weak they're not very yeah, strong they're they're not right. particularly like eloquent or philosophically uh -huh. sophisticated or any of that why do you think he chose the hobbits to be the heroes that's i think where his true christian colors show through mm. through weakness uh evil will be overturned in fact gandalf even says it he says it's not by strength of strength of arms we will win this it's through weakness and and so if you look at the Bible and we point this out in Hollywood heroes, think about how many characters in the Bible are weak. And yeah. and and they of course Jesus is the ultimate one. He gives up all his power and saves the world. But you can think of other weak characters. I mean, Paul says, When I when I'm when I'm weak, I am strong. Uh Peter, you know, denies Christ three times and runs away at the crucifixion, and you know, he putting his foot in his mouth all the time. Uh, Matthew's a tax collector. Nobody likes him, but he writes a gospel. John is just a kid who who travels with Jesus, and he writes a gospel. Mark can't even complete a a missionary journey with Paul. Paul gets so upset, he kicks him out, but yet then he gets with Peter and writes a gospel. I mean, these are weak people. These are not mm -hmm. super superheroes. And, of course, that's what Tolkien is saying, is that uh, evil can be overcome with weakness. Evil can be overcome with sacrifice. 
And the same thing is true today. God uses the weak. God, God doesn't need superstars. He uses everyday people to get his will done. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while since I've watched Lord of the Rings, but there was something to it also that I'm trying to remember. Maybe you can remember this, where when Gandalf had—Gandalf himself wouldn't even touch the ring. That's right. And, and he was saying that only a hobbit, because of, I don't know, was it the purity of heart? Or there's something mm -hmm. about it that would make him a little bit more resistant to the power of the ring. And maybe that's, the, was it that hobbits weren't seeking power, maybe? I can't remember. Do you remember? Well, yeah, I think that maybe hobbits had a, a different nature. And that's probably why Gandalf said that everyone else is susceptible. Because I think the, the ring represented the power of sin in our lives. Mm -hmm. Although Tolkien left that up to the reader to determine yeah. that. But I remember even when, you know, some even some of the hobbits got a hold of the ring. I remember one scene where uh, I can't remember who it was, got the ring and suddenly his eyes got real big, like I must be mine. You know, it, it happens Bilbo to at the very end. Right? It's a terrifying <laughs> scene. You're not you yeah. don't see it coming and his face becomes all demonic and that's right. crazy for a second. Yeah. That's what sin does to you. Now you mentioned Gollum earlier, right? Yeah. Gollum is he has the ring and it's his precious, right? But he but it, it destroys him. Yeah. Right. It totally destroys it. And that's what sin does. It destroys you. And by the way, this is this is similar in the Star Wars series. Notice that the evil side is they're physically deformed. Right. Mm -hmm. So Darth Vader's physically deformed. He's, he's like half man, half machine. He's on a breathing machine. Right. The yeah. emperor, it has, it, you know, his face is all deformed because that represents the fact that he's evil. And so Lucas communicated the people who were morally evil had something physically wrong with them. Whereas someone like Luke is he's he's good. He's pure. Right. He's mm -hmm. he's handsome. Uh, and, and so that was the way he communicated the difference between good and evil. And we even see that in the Lord of the Rings series. Same kind of thing. Yeah, I remember being a little girl and my mom took us to the theater to see, I think it was, I don't know, it was Empire Strikes, Strikes Back maybe mm -hmm. or something like that. And I just remember her having this little talk with us, like now they move things with their mind. So, you know, just, you can't do that. Don't try that. And of course, the first thing I did when I got home was, you know, I tried to, <laughs> try to like get a book from the bookshelf to come over to me. You lifted mom right off the yeah, couch, just, didn't you? You know, I tried so hard, <laughs> but, um, you know, I liked that my parents kind of did that with us with even, you know, watching the Smurfs, she would, the Smurfs, she would explain the magic involved and, you know, how we can think about that as Christians and, um, but, but think Thinking about uh, Star Wars is a very interesting one because this is one where, um, as our friend uh, uh, Richard Howe has pointed mm -hmm. out, he's got some articles on this on his website and he's yeah. given lectures on this, that Star Wars is very, very religious in nature. Mm -hmm. In fact, mm -hmm. um, in an interview with, I believe it was maybe Time Magazine, George Lucas basically said, yeah, I, I was going for pluralism. I wanted the Hindus to watch this and find their religion reflected. I wanted the Christians to see it. Yeah. I wanted mm -hmm. the the Muslims and the Buddhists, and I wanted mm -hmm. everybody to see this movie and be able to filter it through their own worldview. And essentially, when we analyze the worldview of Star Wars, we're, we're going to land somewhere in pantheism, of course, That's with right. the Force being kind of like Chi and, mm -hmm. and Taoism and things like that. But there's still this good versus evil that, as you know, to borrow from Frank Turek, that borrows from the Christian worldview, right? Mm -hmm. This this sense of uh, this deep Judeo-Christian ethic as far as self, you know, sacrifice and and hard work and good versus evil and good winning out. Um, so uh, there's so many places we can go, but um, you know, Anakin Skywalker is one of those really fascinating characters that we saw mm -hmm. the moral arc really evolve more in those later movies that you were mentioning you took right. Zach to later. Um, but what does his fall to the dark side, you know, essentially there's all this debate about should we even train Jedis anymore because uh, because after Anakin, we see him go to the dark side when he had so much promise. But what can that teach us maybe about something like the nature of sin? Well, I think sin is deceitful. Of course, that's what the, uh, the scripture talks about. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And here the word enticed means to be uh, to catch by by use of bait. And this is what happens to Anakin. He's enticed by his own desires and emotions. 
He's ruled mainly by fear. He, he's, he's trying to, he doesn't want to lose his worldly attachments, as Yoda put it. He, he doesn't want to lose his family, obviously. He doesn't want to lose his power. And at one point, Elisa, he's, he's told to be rational. He says, you're asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. Believe me, I wish I could. I, I just can't wish away my feelings, but he, but he can't. And he goes down this road of sin after he's enticed and he gives into it. And then it's a, it's a regressive road to the point where not only he's doing evil, but he's cheering on other people who are doing evil. It's perfectly the description of what you see in Romans 1. Once yeah. you start doing evil, you get a depraved mind and you begin doing more evil until the point where you're cheering on other people who are doing evil. Then he's committing war crimes and he he actually gives in to the Sith Lord, who turns out to be the emperor, uh, after he's supposed to be fighting that guy. He's supposed to be fighting the Sith, right? But mm-hmm. instead, as soon as the Sith Emperor says, look, I'm really a Sith. I'm not, you know, I'm not on your side, but I can give you everything you want. I, You can keep your power. You can keep your family. You can keep all that. Hey, Anakin just gives in, and that's when he becomes Darth Vader, mm. right? So yeah. it can happen to us as well. We get enticed and dragged away, and that's what happened. Now, fast forward. After Luke, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, <laughs> Luke is the son <laughs> <laughs> if you don't already know <laughs> that's right if you don't already know um i i i just put a little magic in there just, just in case okay very um, good if uh in case you don't know luke redeems him his father and then he starts dragging him toward a spaceship to rescue him mm. so if darth vader was trying to drag luke to the to the dark side but it's fitting that after Luke wins, he's trying to drag his father to safety. And, of course, he says, it's too late for me now, son, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, but I let's... have to save you, father. You already have, son. That's Tell right. your sister. Tell your sister you were right. Right? Yeah. And then what do we see after that? Darth Vader is alive. He's That's transfigured right. with Yoda and Obi-Wan. That's right. What does that sound like? Yeah, that's that was one the next thing I was going to bring up because one of the really cool things about the whole Star Wars thing, especially the maybe those earliest ones too, I, mm-hmm. I think, is that you did have this idea of the afterlife being very Christianish in its yep. portrayal of heaven, of course, with Yoda there, and then you do see Anakin redeemed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's interesting that that it would do that. It was like that bad people. Like a person who'd done so much evil their whole life, mm-hmm. this would kind of be the opposite of cancel culture, can end up redeemed in the end. And that that is a message that I think is lost on our culture. Well, we have in in the Star Wars chapter in Hollywood Heroes, we have a section, can bad people go to heaven like Darth Vader? And our conclusion is only bad people go to heaven. Yeah. Right? There are no good right. people. Yeah. We all go to heaven because of what Jesus has done. None of us make it there on our merit. So yeah, everybody goes everybody goes to heaven who wants to if they've accepted what the free gift of salvation is that Jesus provides. If they if they don't want to accept Christ's life, if they don't want to be with him now, they're not going to want to be in, be with him in eternity. So God doesn't force anybody into heaven against their will. Okay, let's talk about Harry Potter because I think this is probably the one my my suspicion is this is going to be the one you're going to get the most pushback on in the book mm-hmm. and I'll just tell you like as a parent, Harry Potter was something I really wanted to avoid. And I have lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. Many of our viewers and listeners have heard my interview with Jack Marino, who came out of the occult. And Mm -hmm. she talks about how she was initially enticed into the occult uh, by even by Disney and by the Fantasia movie. And a lot of the Mm -hmm. things that she was exposed to as a child, these ended up enticing her into those things. And we look around and like Wicca is on the rise. I think Mm -hmm. there's more uh, young people attracted to the occult than ever. I think it would be a fair, you know, guess to say that Harry Potter probably played a huge role. You have this place called Hogwarts where it's magical and it's so beautiful and you go learn magic and actually witchcraft, calling it witchcraft, all these things. So because of those things, I was always really uh, hesitant to introduce my kids to Harry Potter. So I never did, but of course they're going to they're going to hear about it. And so my daughter had a good friend who was really into Harry Potter. And then I had a choice to make, and I was like, "Well, do I do I do the thing where I say we're not going to do that in this house, 
Or do I say, okay, look, we're going to discern this through together. And, uh, and so what, where I landed with my daughter was I just said, okay, here's the thing. Yes, you can read the books, um, but we're, let's read them together. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I had actually already read all of the books. And it, was, it was like research in the beginning. And then I'm like, oh, the next <laughs> one's coming out. And then before I know it, I'm in line. I'm in line at Barnes & Noble at midnight for the new release. You know, I'm just admitting that to you. But um, so I'd already read them. For research purposes, and um, so I was like, "For those yeah, you listening to the podcast, research purposes." Yeah, right. Lisa has her quote fingers up. Yeah, that's right. Purposes. My quote fingers for research purposes. So um, yeah, so I was like, "Well, okay, we'll read these." And there was also this is the age appropriate thing to consider with something like Harry Potter. They're really terrifying in certain spots, mm-hmm. especially as you get further into the series. So there's all that to consider. But ultimately, I thought, well, I would rather remove the mystique from it mm-hmm. and teach her to discern through it because mm-hmm. I remembered that as a as a young child walking by my dad's desk and seeing a book of mormon on my dad's desk and I remember thinking I mean I, I knew that it was a different faith's religious book mm-hmm. but I asked my dad about it and I was like why do you have that and he's like well I'm, I'm curious what they believe I want to know what they believe sure. and I said well is it true and he goes no no what we believe is true but I want to know what they believe and there right. was something about that that just it removed all mystique I was never from that point on ever attracted to Mormonism I never considered mm. it as a worldview it was just kind of like oh, okay it's, I don't have to be afraid of that so I think there's an element of that where we can teach our kids to discern through within even part of that is teaching them not to be enticed by how much they're romanticizing witchcraft. So that's my little my little spiel leading up to Harry Potter. But with that said, uh, what are some of the observations that you made, um, you know, about the Harry Potter series and how that can actually be used as mm. a, a conversation starter for people? Yeah, again, uh, I defer to parents. Whatever they think is right with their kids, you know, you got to make your own decisions. Uh, but if you look at Harry Potter, you see arguably, and this is what we say in the book, he, the character Harry Potter has more in common with the life of Christ than any other character in modern fiction. Mm. You go, what? How can that be? Here are just four things that are, that, that are true about Harry Potter's life. Number one, he's prophesied as the savior before he's born. Does that sound familiar? Secondly, he has to live a moral life in order to achieve his messiahship, his, his, to, to be the savior. Thirdly, he has to die in order to achieve it. And fourthly, he rises from the dead to achieve it. So he's prophesied, he lives a moral life, he dies and he rises from the dead. And then his friends have to put their faith in him in order to overcome the evil Voldemort. Mm. Now, you go, wow. how can, well, gee, those parallels are, yeah, why are they parallels? Because J.K. Rowling actually said that the the entire series can be epitomized by two Bible verses, which she put in the book Wow. and in the movie. Uh, the two Bible verses are the last, uh, the last uh, enemy to be destroyed is death from 1 Corinthians 15. That's actually found on the tombstone of Harry Potter's parents. Wow. And the other passage is where the, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That comes from Jesus' mm-hmm. Sermon on the Mount. She says, those two Bible verses epitomize the entire story. She says, Dumbledore is the John the Baptist figure to Harry's Christ. Mm-hmm. And so she said she that. Points, she said that. Oh, she says it. Wow. Yeah, she yeah, says wow. it all. Yeah. Because she says, look, these are very British books. You're going to find Harry f- finding biblical references but I never wanted to talk much about it because I did not want the readers to tip to get tipped off as to where we were going mm. with all this. That's so fascinating. Now you say, okay, well, what about the uh, you know the witchcraft in there? Um, these are fantasy movies, and twenty out of the top twenty-five movies of all time, every single one of them, maybe with the exception of two. Are either fan are fantasy movies that have either the supernatural or the paranormal in them. Okay, the only two that I, I think that don't are Titanic and maybe Furious Seven, which has a bunch of special effects in it, right? It's yeah. kind of fantasy anyway, right? Yeah. Now, I notice Christians are really upset over Harry Potter. Again, I defer to parents on this, but I, I don't notice the same Christians being upset over Lord of the Rings. Gandalf is a wizard. 
Yeah. He's doing the occult too. Yeah. How I always, but I, see, that's what I always, I, I actually, even when I read Narnia was like, I would, I would be so confused by that, the witchcraft mm -hmm. in all of those books. So yeah, I mean, I get that. I'm sympathetic to people who are like, but you're mm -hmm. right. There, there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, no on Harry Potter, but yes on Narnia and Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, so that's, the, that's one of the points. And I think as you pointed out earlier, uh, these are meant to be fantasy stories. You need to explain to children they are fantasy stories. And you also need to explain that the occult is, while it's real, the kind of occult that's in uh, that's in the Lord or, or that's in Harry Potter is not real. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we don't see people zapping other people or, or flying on broomsticks, just like we don't see people levitating spaceships with their minds, right? We don't. Mm -hmm. we, I know you tried it when you got home, I Alisa, did, but I did. after you saw Star Wars, Prime <laughs> Fire Strikes Back. But these are fantasy movies. They're not meant to be real, but we can still see the storyline under it. In fact, here's what Rowling says. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Rowling. I think that's right. I think that's Rowling, right. Maybe more like Rowling. But anyway, uh, she lately has been, uh, a side note, she's not backing down to the trans people. Right. On, yeah. She's just saying, hey, women are women. If, that's right. If, if, if you're going to say the trans people are right, you've just you've just erased women because if there are no genders, there are no women. Anyway, yeah. Um, here's what she says about the whole magical thing. And I'm paraphrasing her now. She says magic lifts the imagination, but magic isn't the center of the story. Human nature is. And here's her quote. She says, Harry enters this magical world and he thinks it will be an escape, but it's not. Human nature is human nature, whether or not you can use a wand. So the whole thing is that the magic in the movie is designed to give kids power that kids don't have, right? Uh, they can do this magic and it enthralls them. But that's not the center of the story. The center of the story isn't the occult. The center of the story isn't magic. The center of the story is you're going to have to overcome evil with good. And Harry Potter is going to have to do it. Harry Potter is going to have to be the savior. He's the one that can take the stone uh, to parallel the uh, the ring in Lord of the Rings. He's the one that can take it and not be corrupted by it. He's the one that can look into the mirror of, of Erced and can reveal his true mm. nature, whereas the other people, it reveals their nature too, but they're not good. They can't, they can't deal with it. So it's really more about sacrifice, morality, death, resurrection. That's what it's really all about. And all the magic in there is just the, uh, the vehicle through which uh, rolling actually gets the job done. And I think too, if we just have those open conversations with our kids and even, I think it's even great to say, Hey, look, there's a lot of people of your generation. They're being really attracted to these things of the mm -hmm. occult, but here's, here's where we're going to show you what's real about that. What's not real. What's just mm -hmm. a fantasy part of that and what's not. And just teaching our kids to discern through those things, I think is a really powerful way to teach them really to interact with the world as they get mm -hmm. out into the world and be able in that, that could even in some ways, I, I wonder, insulate them from becoming attracted to Wicca or something like that because it's it's been talked through. This isn't something that's new and mysterious in, in, right. in a way. Let me um, say something to that, Elisa, because yeah. that's, that's such a good point. I want to relate something that I learned from Josh McDowell years ago, our mutual friend Josh McDowell and his son, Sean. When Sean was just a little kid, uh, Josh would take him downtown and they would look at graffiti on a like a city wall, all the worst graffiti. And and Josh would say, son, you see what that says over there? Let me explain you. Let me explain to you what that means. OK, hmm. this is vulgar. This is not good. This is demeaning people. This is not what you want to do because you're made in the image of God and so are other people. So yeah. he would explain all of this to, to Sean. So there was no mystery to Sean when these things came up. Yeah. Oh, I know what that means. OK. Uh, my wife, Stephanie, is really good at bringing kids up, and she would talk to kids directly all the time about issues related to sexuality and the drugs and all these things. And 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 because, look, if you if you avoid those topics or you freak out when they come up. Yeah. What your kid's not going to come to you and ask, yeah. ask you for your advice. Gonna, Mom's going to freak out if we talk about this. But if you talk about it in a measured way and say, yeah, you want to talk about this? Let's talk. Yeah. Uh, then your kids are going to come to you. So yeah, I think that's I, all so these good. things I think we have to educate our, our children on and hiding from it is not the way. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's funny on that point. Um, I think my parents did a really good job with that, too. And it's like our friends Brett Kunkel and John Stone Street write in their book, A Practical Guide to Culture, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to issues surrounding sexuality and, you know, the way that the culture is navigating that. Make yourself the Google with your kids so yeah, that right, they won't good. go to Google. And, uh-huh. and you know, that's just going to take an ongoing type of openness and conversation, not freaking out, not re- not being mm-hmm. reactionary. And um, I've seen good fruit in that in my own life, but I'll end with this little story because this just this is this makes the point of the age appropriate thing. So Uh when my daughter was little, she wanted to know what all the cuss words were because she had heard them like the S word and there's the F word, and she was like, "Mom, what what are they? Like, what are the words?" And so I said, "All right, I'm going to tell you what the words are, okay? But I just I want you to use them, but you know, I don't want you to have to wonder what they are. So here's what they are. It's friends, honey. It's friends. Yes, friends, and (laughs) yeah, exactly." So I told her the told her the words, and she's been great. Like now, you know, she'll ask me all sorts of things. Like, hey, the kids were talking about this at school. What is that? And I've had to explain some things to my daughter that I wish I wouldn't have had to. But uh, if she knows that she can count on me mm-hmm. to be dead honest about it, all right, here's what that mm-hmm. means. This is what they're talking about. Now, my son, on the other hand. He wanted to know all the cuss words. So I was like, you know, going to do this great parenting thing like I did with her and told him the words. Oh, he uses them all the time. Frank. <laughs> How old is he? Oh, he's 10. And and he'll even threaten. Like, He'd probably kill me if he knew I was saying this. But he'll like, I'll hear him yelling at my daughter and he'll say, get out of my room or I'm going to say the F word to you. And he'll like, you know, he'll threaten like that he's going to say it. So, uh-huh. you know, there, there may be a little bit of an age appropriate thing there, too. Although I'm still glad I did it because he's going to hear him anyway. But mm-hmm. then you just got to navigate the rest of it. But I, can you believe we're about out of time? This has just flown by. Such a fun topic. Um, I was really hoping can to I get to wonder. One? Yeah, yeah, please. I, I wanted to say one thing before, uh, because you brought up a point at the beginning of the show uh, about, you know, age appropriate. And uh, you also pointed out that, you know, our parents have a tendency to isolate kids from things. Um, too often, I think parents make the decision as to whether or not they should their kids can watch it. If there if there's sex, if there's violence in it, okay, maybe no. If they're bad words, maybe no. But you know what we often do? We often say, oh, if it doesn't have any of that in, then they can watch it. Well, then they watch like a Disney movie, which basically says, follow your heart, follow yeah. your heart, follow your heart. And that's a worse message than if they heard a couple of cuss words. I agree. <laughs> right? Totally agree. <laughs> And that's why the Iron Man series is so good. Don't follow your heart. Look, Iron Man, Tony Stark has everything, and he's not happy. Ask your kids, why is Tony Stark not happy? Mm. He's got everything to live with, nothing to live for, right? Yeah. Sex, money, and power are not going to make you happy. So don't go down that road to make you happy. There's a difference between pleasure and happiness. Pleasure is good, but it won't necessarily bring you happiness. Yeah. So you got to follow God ultimately. Now I know all these Marvel movies, they just make make passing references to God and they put all value in relationships with people. If we do that, if we we put all our value in relationships with people, we're not going to be happy either. We've got to put our ultimate happiness or our ultimate relationship with God. And then once we get that straightened out, then everything else will go better with our horizontal relationships. That's true. And I think that's the opportunity as well. Just even as Christians, as we watch these movies and as we talk about them with our friends and the people in our circles, and even as parents talk about them with their kids, is that there's some really great themes to talk about that point to the gospel. But there's also Mm -hmm. some stuff that we can say, okay, yeah, this person did this and that was good, but then this person did this and that's bad. That doesn't agree with with reality. That doesn't line up Mm -hmm. with truth. And just to be able to to spot all of those messages. Spot the lie. Yeah, it's yeah. it's spot the lie exactly. Nothing's going to get uh-huh. it all completely right. Well, with uh, we we've about run out of time here, but I do want to let people know that you can go to patreon.com slash Alisa Childers, and there you can find some exclusive content, some bonus content, and one of the bonus contents you're going to find is that we're about to have a little after party hangout for five or ten minutes, where people in the Patreon group get to ask the questions of our guests. So we're going to do a little bit extra. I want to talk about Wonder Woman a little bit with Frank because that's one of my favorites is the first one. Didn't like the second one so much, kind of for different reasons. But we're going to talk about that. But um, Frank, as we close out this portion of our of our uh, discussion here, what what do we wrap this up with? You know, ultimately, we're not just looking at all these movies to find the Jesus in the movie. There's there's a there's something we're trying to get to, and that's that's that we really this whole story of 
dying and going to heaven, living for good, um, looking at Jesus as our Savior. I mean, this is really what we're trying to point to. So um, why do we need a Savior? Can't you just be good and go to heaven? I mean, why, why does this all matter anyway? Yeah, excellent point. Uh, the reason we can't be good and go to heaven is because none of us have been good completely. And if God is infinitely just, and he is, then he can't allow injustice to go unpunished. He has to punish us. So instead of punishing us, he punishes himself, basically. That way he can remain just and justify sinners like you and me. You see, this is why Jesus is the only way. It's not an arbitrary claim. It's not like yeah. Jesus saying, I, I'm the only way because I said so. No, that's the only way an infinitely just being can reconcile his infinite justice and his infinite love. What he does is he punishes himself in our place. And just simply by accepting that, then you are not only forgiven, you're given his righteousness. Mm. And by doing that, then you have eternal life and will be with Christ and your loved ones who have also accepted that forever. Those that don't want that, they want to stay separate from Christ. Well, you'll stay separate from Christ for all eternity. He's not going to force you into heaven against your will. And so we point all this out in Hollywood Heroes, and the last chapter deals with the ultimate hero, Jesus, and why is Jesus different, although similar to some of the superheroes? That's what we cover in the last chapter. Very good. Well, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Frank Turek. Go get the book, Hollywood Heroes. It's available wherever books are sold. Just came out this week. So go out and get that. Let's get, get them a really good opening week with great sales to, to cue all of the algorithms that people like this, and it will go into the news feeds of more people. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. If you're listening on audio platforms, leaving a five-star review really helps get the message out. And of course, if you liked this episode and you want to share it, don't just send it to your friends via email. Share it on social media. Let's get the word out there. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.